hi and welcome to Town Hall Tattle, the podcast where we bring you all the latest from South Yorkshire's town halls. I'm Danielle Andrews, I cover Barnsley and Rotherham, and joining me are Molly Williams and Julia Armstrong, who cover all the goings-on at Sheffield City Council, which is um, always a fun job to have. Uh, so Molly, well, there's been quite a buzz about Sheffield being named one of the top destinations for a city break in Europe for 2023. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, so um, Time Out's published a list of the best city break destinations in Europe for this year. And Sheffield has come out second out of 18. That included Milan, Oslo and Valencia and places like that. Um, it's quite exciting, really. I mean, everyone who knows Sheffield loves it. And the fact so many university students stay after studying here, I think, supports that. But I think there is this feeling that Sheffield is a great place to live, but we don't necessarily see it as a tourist destination. So I think sometimes these things can come as a bit of a surprise. But I do think there's been some momentum now. We did really well getting through the rounds to host Eurovision. Um, we did a great job with the Women's Euros uh, this week, as well as the timeout list. We've also got uh, the archaeological work on the castle being starred in BBC's Digging for Britain show. <clears throat> and um, timeout a couple of years ago also declared Kellam Island one of the coolest neighbourhoods in the world. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of history here, too. And I think tourism in England, especially, a lot of it is based around the history. We've got the castle, the birthplace of, birthplace of Robin Hood, the steel and the music, which are all sort of things we have been talking more about as a city. Um, but I think, you know, we need to capitalise more on that, celebrate it. And hopefully uh, doing that will snowball into wider benefits. You just have to look at places like York and Cambridge to see um, what that can do. Generally, though, um, sort of like I mentioned earlier, I think there needs to be a bit of an attitude shift. There is a tendency for Sheffield to not shout about itself, and these things shouldn't come as a surprise. We see, need to start seeing ourselves more like the people from Time Out do. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I can understand why some locals might feel negative about stuff. You know, we've got the incidents like the shipping container farce sort of put our city in a bad light. And if you're seeing your leaders mess up, um, it's hard to be hopeful for the future. So the council has a responsibility too to inspire that hope and sort of keep the momentum going. I mean, there was the whole thing with um, with the women's Euros, wasn't there, that where the Sheffield is the place of football's birth, this is where mm. football came from. Yeah. We used too like, much of a dance, did we? I think as well, like, we just kind of forget about this stuff. Like, And it's kind of like, I mean, like, I know like the surprise thing for me when I first read it, I was like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> one of the best... You just kind of don't think about it, really. I mean, we always go on about even like big bands and stuff. They'll go to Leeds rather than Sheffield. Or if you're going to go shopping, you probably might look to Leeds or Manchester. But yeah, I think, you know, the Peak District, all that kind of stuff, we do have a lot to offer. We do. And I mean, at, at the same time, the council has announced plans to boost tourism. So what what's it planning? What's it going to do? Yeah, so kind of just as a coincidence, really, I think, um, at the same time this time out list was published, the council also published a report outlining plans to boost tourism. Um, so it's planning to get accredited by the local visitor economy partnership, um, which it said could enable it to sort of trailblaze the way for visitor economy in South Yorkshire. Um, so basically, this uh, partnership is part of a new national structure for tourism that would get the city recognised and provide opportunities for funding and support. Um, crucially, officers said with this status, it could grow visitor numbers, but without it, the city would disappear into the national agenda for tourism, uh, disappear from the national agenda. So it is really important and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. 
I mean, what Sheffield? Are we fourth biggest city still? Something like that? I mean, I, I never think of a, it as a place of tourism. We'll go to Manchester or Leeds for a, a Saturday afternoon out, maybe, but you don't think about going into Sheffield as a tourist destination. So I really hope the council can uh, attract some funding to turn that on its head. We could definitely do with the money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Molly, there's also been some concern over voter ID at the next election. Um, there's some new rules that have been introduced at this year's local elections, and that will require voters to show ID at polling stations. Um, but why are some people concerned about that? Yeah, so this is an issue that was raised at the latest school council meeting, and it sort of stirred some debate since. Um, the Tory government introduced the new law saying there was an inexcusable potential for someone to cast another's vote at polling stations. Um, but this is despite no evidence of widespread electoral fraud. Um, at this full council meeting, I mentioned uh, two local Labour candidates called it voter suppression, saying people we put off because they aren't aware of the changes and don't have valid ID. Um, they also they said that those who are younger on lower incomes or from minority backgrounds would be hardest hit. And there's also concern that the council is having to pick up the cost of these changes when it's already basically at breaking point. Um, that was supported by council leader Terry Fox said the government provided nowhere near the amount of funding needed to make these changes. Um, but he has stressed that the council will support anyone who doesn't have the ID to get these things called a voter certificate. And I'll share a link to that on my Twitter at one Molly Williams. But um, the concerns are also national. Um, in other places, we've seen the concerns about people who are more vulnerable being unable to get ID. <clears throat> um, but also the local government association has warned the change was coming too soon and called for it to be pushed back uh, to allow councils and stuff more time to sort of get things in place. And yeah, I mean, I can understand why people think it's overkill. If you forget to bring your ID and you get turned away or if you have to go through extra faff to get a vote, I imagine people, some people might be put off. And if the figures show this kind of election fraud rarely happens, um, yeah, you kind of, you know, wonder why, why, why we need it right now. Um, and it is hard enough encouraging people to turn out as it is. I mean, ID is expensive as well, because is it only passport and driving licences and a very few selection of IDs that are actually accepted? I mean, the, the cost of a passport is going up, isn't it? It's not cheap to have ID. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think even even for, for me, you know, like um, I didn't really like I knew this was coming in, but I hadn't given it like until it was sort of the debate has been stirred about it. I think I can understand why a lot of people might not even have realised um, what are the elections in next May? Yeah, elections next May. It's not long. This yeah. May. Then, yeah. for, you know, there's a lot of talk to try and push a lot on, you know, make sure you're registered to the vote. And this is just kind of another thing that people have to think about. Well, it, it's, it's a national issue and I hope something can be done about it. You know, this government's had quite a few U-turns in its past. So, you know, I won't be surprised if there was a U-turn on this potentially. I, I don't think it's particularly fair like you said for people who are, don't have the chance to get ids and um, so we're coming on to julia armstrong she's the uh, latest member of our team she replaces lucy who's gone over to radio sheffield and um, julia's been chatting to climate change activists and they're worried that progress to net zero in sheffield's been quite slow and um, but there are plans to speed up work on decarbonisation. so what can you tell us about that yeah, I was talking to people who um, there's something called Sheffield Climate Vigil, which is what it does on the tin. There's a 
it's a group of people who uh, I think they came out of the, the the Quaker network. So they do assign them, and there's other people, there's Buddhists, there's other people who join in with them. Anybody can join them. And once a month, they just stand silently outside the town hall for a month, and they give out leaflets. Um, encouraging people to do even from small things on climate change to big things like get involved in big protests and stuff and some of them are in organizations like um, extinction rebellion as well um but they they just feel like it helps people to just come towards them when they you know in in, in a different way to the sort of the big demonstrations and what have you but they were saying that they were really worried at the fact that the council uh declared a climate they're not worried about this they were really pleased at the climate climate that the council declared a climate emergency last year and uh, said that it wanted to get to net zero carbon emissions, so CO2 emissions by 2030, which is a very, very ambitious thing to do for the whole city, not just for the council, but they want the whole city to embrace this. And, uh, you know, by the end of this dec coming decade. So that's a big ask. And unfortunately, um, I think that it's probably partly because... Um, Partly because the council's changed the way it worked, because there's a referendum that said that the council has to move away from the cabinet system, which is very much about one party in charge, to they're having to negotiate between the, the, the there's no overall control anyway, so they're having to negotiate between Labour, Lib Dems, and Greens about all all issues, including what to do on climate change. So everything is taking a bit longer, and the new committees, the committee that deals with climate change, also deals with transport and regeneration. So as you can imagine, that is a huge list of things to sort out in the city and you know there's been meetings going on for five hours and i think that's part of the problem it's that there's good intentions there was a really good report that these climate uh, campaigners liked that came out by a company called arup which is a, a sort of um, an environmental consultant and they come up with the 80 ideas for the city and then they were really disappointed because the council then comes up with 10 kind what they thought quite wishy-washy things and they feel like the meat's not being put on the bones really so they really want to see the council pushing ahead. And on Thursday, the committee I was talking about is talking about having like a, a little subgroup to, to get on with the decarbonisation route map for the city. Because, you know, you're talking about April last year and really the big stuff hasn't been put in place to a large extent. So um, it was interesting to talk to them because obviously climate change is something that's hitting us all. You know, it's, it's urgent, isn't it? It can't be pushed down the list of things. And like you say, that's a huge committee when you think yeah. of how big the city is and how big yeah. transport is and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Is, is there anything specific that the activists are calling for the council to do, or is it well, just one thing that? Sorry, um, it's cut across you. One thing they're um, talking about is there should be a climate assembly, which means that interested citizens could get on board and sort of do stuff but i think they want they, they think there's some quick wins as well you could do retrofitting is one thing that gets talked about a lot which would which would be good could create jobs and also would help a lot of people because um what retrofitting means is making is, is getting your house into a state where it's uh it, it's very warm it's insulated uh and so you're saving money on your bills but you're also warmer and obviously there's uh, council housing in sheffield over the um uh, over the time of the pandemic you know a lot of repairs didn't get done and there's been long long list of you know line of people waiting for repairs to be done to their homes you know we've heard about the tragedy of the little boy who died because of the uh um uh because of the mold problem in his home he's not in sheffield but obviously councillors have got quite alerted to that and you just think all those things could come together we could do something that's good for the climate good for people saves energy etc etc so i think that's one thing that they 
really would, would like to see the council getting on with. Well, it sounds like a big job, but hopefully if there is a subcommittee, they can break it down a little bit and, and some progress will be made. Yeah. And on, on a lighter note, there's been a massive support for um, the ice cream firm that helped their van stay on its spot outside Encliffe Park. Although there was opposition from the parks department and yeah. the staff front page was held up at the licence meeting. What happened? It was, yeah. Um, so what happened was Cuneo's Ice Cream, who've been in Sheffield since, I think, 1864, who've been making ice cream in Sheffield since the Italian family came to Sheffield, uh, you know, more than 100 years ago. And um, they are really quite well known. People like them. The pink and white bands are very visible. You know, you know what, who, are that, who that is if you're a Sheffielder. And they do good ice cream. Uh, I don't think I've been unimpartial by saying that they do good ice cream. Um, so they, uh, so they were they they got uh, they lost a bid to stay inside Encliffe Park, which is one of the big most popular parks in Sheffield, um, in an area where a lot of students go, etc. So um, they lost that to another. They got outbid by somebody else. So they then took up their street trading license for outside on Russellings Road, and the, the the council parks department wasn't happy about that because. A lot of the parks in Sheffield are held in trust by charities, which the, the council is the only trustee of the charities. Uh, it's it's when people like Alderman Graves years ago gave land for various things to the city. And so there's a, a charity to help sort of raise money. And they charities, by law, have to maximise their income. And the council parks department was worried because if they've got a really well-known firm selling ice cream outside, then they thought it was undercutting uh, the potential for people to buy inside the park from the van that's inside the park and also from the park cafe. But actually, the guy at the park cafe, he, he supported uh, Kineo staying outside the uh, outside. And um, the reason that the uh, there was a there was a front page of the Star a couple of Saturdays ago, Saturdays ago talking about this, and it said Ice Cream War on it. And so um, the next councillor who was uh, representing the, the uh, Kineo's family. And he he held it up and talked about the fact that our, on, on the Star's online story, there was loads and loads of comments. They'd been doing their own stuff on the family, had been doing their own stuff on Facebook. And it, it was it was it was like a massive thing for a lot of people in Sheffield. So despite all the big problems going on in our lives, people still feel quite passionate about a local family being able to still sell their ice cream. It's one of those things that does affect you, though, isn't it? When you when you live in the area and you're used to seeing the ice cream vans, and it, yeah. you, it's nice to know that your journalism does make a difference sometimes. <laughs> it's held it's up. Yeah, it's, like, it's like the dog park. You know, people are they get caught up in these little issues, and they're important to them. So it's good yeah, you can do all yeah. those things. Yeah, it does become important. I mean, when you talk about things like climate change, it feels like it's very, very far away from you as yeah. a person and your council. It, it's a global issue. But when you're talking about the dog park and the ice cream vans, it's something that you see maybe on a weekly basis. It is something that affects you and people do get passionate about it. I do, surprisingly so. Yeah, OK. Um, well, just turning to Barnsley and Rotherham, um, there's been a few stories that I've been sort of working on. Um, one of the bigger ones is we've had more than 70 residents in Hoyland have signed a petition and um, they're hoping to stop plans for a new Little off Sheffield Road. And um, they're quite worried that a new supermarket on such a busy route is going to add to the congestion problems that they already have around there. It's, it's a really, really busy area. It's just off the M1 Junction 36. Um, they feel that the area has had more than its fair share of developments. There's a number of warehouses being built in the past couple of years, including the big Hermes. Um, the main point seems to be that the Liddell's proposed on a field that's quite popular with dog walkers and residents. 
and they believe there's enough space to have the supermarket built further down the road where the warehouses are being built. Now Lidl say that they are committed to bringing a new store to Hoyland, saying that it'd benefit the community, um, it'd provide affordable food, there'd be jobs for residents, it'd be a significant investment for Hoyland. Um, so Lidl are re-expected to, uh, expected to resubmit a planning application at some point soon after the first was withdrawn. So um, for that one, we're going to have to just wait and see what mitigations are in place. Um, and over in Rotherham, uh, the council's planning to use a compulsory purchase order to buy a burnt out former nightclub. Um, the buildings are on 3 to 7 Corporation Street and an officer report said they've been continuously unused and derelict following fire damage in 2007. So Rotherham Council's hoping to redevelop the whole site into a mixed-use development um, with apartments and commercial space and shops on the ground floor. And um, There's a lot of changes going on at the town centre at the moment, especially around the Scottish Island development that's currently under construction. Um, that's going to be a new leisure quarter um, with cinema, restaurants, hotel, car parking, residential uses. So the, 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 the council's wanting to just kind of clear up the area around Forge Island a little bit to make it a bit more attractive. Um, so yeah, there's going to be big changes afoot in Rotherham. Um, so that's all I have for Barnsley and Rotherham. Um, this has been Town Hall Tattle Podcast with Danielle Andrews, Julia Armstrong and Molly Williams. Uh, we hope you can tune in next month and we'll be bringing you all the latest.